Kick it off here. Saturday, May 25th, 2021. BK here yet another week in a row. Coming at you guys from San Diego, California. Please follow me on social media. You can check out my Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual and check out my Instagram at BK Actual. That's right, you guys. The Steel Trap Mind in full effect. Two and a half hours straight through. No breaks, no editing, solo. I'm the only guy on the internet capable of doing it. Everybody knows it. Let's go ahead and... Get started internationally, of course. Let's go to Burkina Faso in Africa, where armed assailants have killed around 100 civilians in an overnight attack on a village in northern Burkina Faso. Uh, This is one of the deadliest attacks there in years. Uh, The attackers came in the night on Friday, and this is near the border with Niger, and they also burned homes, and the village market. Of course, you guys have been listening. You know Burkina Faso is in that Sahel region, and they've long faced this resurgence of extremist violence. A lot of it is led by jihadists linked to Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State. Now, remember that France began that military intervention in 2013 to counter that jihadist violence in Mali? Well, Since they did that, many members of the remaining groups, including all these Al-Qaeda affiliates, moved south from Mali into this border region with Burkina Faso. Now, the first attacks that were claimed by a jihadist group in Burkina Faso were around 2015. And remember that Burkina Faso, what used to be one of the most stable nations in West Africa, well, since those first attacks in 2015... They have been experienced all kinds of violence, hundreds of similar attacks. This whole border area around Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso is in a region called Liptako Gorma. And that is where the attack yesterday, Friday, took place. Uh, now, it's not just fighters that they're going against, they're killing a growing number of civilians. No group has claimed responsibility. Uh, for this yet. Burkina Faso's president, somebody named Roque Kabor, declared a 72-hour period of national mourning, and he is putting this provisional death toll again at about 100 people. Now, this shitty security situation is fueling one of the fastest-growing displacement crises in the world with more than 1.2 million people forced to flee their homes in Burkina Faso. And Burkina Faso is also hosting some 20,000 refugees from Mali who are trying to run away from the jihadist attacks there. Uh, Some of these you'll probably find familiar, but just a little uh, history. In March... Attackers killed 137 people in raids on villages in southwestern Niger, very close to this region. And remember in 2019, we had those two French soldiers killed in a raid to rescue four hostages. And in April, two Spanish journalists and that Irish ranger were also killed in that ambush uh, in southeastern Burkina Faso. So 
That's right. Uh, Africa continuing to spiral downwards, especially in that Sahel region. And, you know, as one of the few podcasts who covers Africa, now you guys know more about that whole region than like 99.9% of Americans. Let us move on to Iran. And yeah, they've, uh, they're having some trouble. Mysterious fires sank Iran's largest warship and burned a huge Tehran oil refinery this week. They uh, are seemingly unconnected fires, but these are raising suspicions that the country has once again been targeted by those Israeli saboteurs. Those fires broke out hours apart, and uh, this was as Iran was reporting progress in talks aimed at resurrecting that international nuclear agreement with the United States. It was scrapped three years ago by the Trump administration, but the Biden administration wants to restore it. Now, Israel does oppose that accord. They contend it will not stop Iran from weaponizing uh, weaponizing nuclear fuel. So, what about this? These uh, this this fire on the warship called the Karg broke out as the vessel was deployed in a Gulf of Oman training exercise. The local news service described the CARG as a, quote, training and logistical ship, end quote, that had been in service for more than 40 years. The exact cause of the fire is still unclear. They did fight this fire for about 20 hours before the ship sank, and it sank off the coast of the southern port of Jask. The crew members did manage to evacuate after the fire, uh, it sounds like there's no casualties. Uh, they, the New York Times says that this ship served as a naval replenishment ship and is Iran's largest vessel by weight. Then, later in Wednesday, a massive fire broke out at a large state-owned petrochemical refinery in South Tehran. Uh, the head of Tehran's Emergency Response Committee said a leak in one of the pipelines carrying liquid gas had caught fire and caused an explosion. Iranian media said at least 18 storage tankers were in flames and quoted Tehran's mayor saying more than 100 fire trucks had been deployed from every Tehran firehouse to battle the fire. Now, official Iranian media has not blamed anyone But many political analysts are not discounting the possibility of covert Israeli operations. You guys have been listening. You know we've covered the Israeli operations inside Iran uh, quite a bit. Uh, So anything else on this? Uh, Yeah, Iran does have a history of naval disasters that are apparently unrelated to external enemies. For example, during a military training exercise last year, a missile from an Iranian frigate mistakenly struck another ship near that same port of Jask, and that killed at least 19 sailors and wounded 15. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, wow, Iran's so scary, aren't they? Yeah, get out of here. Uh, and speaking of Iran, Iran will put a French citizen that it detained last year on trial on charges including espionage according to his lawyer. This is a crime that can carry the death penalty. Uh, The French citizen is named Benjamin Briet, who is in his mid-30s. He was arrested in Iran 
on May 2020 on suspicion of flying a drone and taking photographs in a prohibited area. Oh, that was smart. Uh, let's see. Yeah, they, uh, they're, they're, they're really trying to throw the book at this guy because Iran frequently uses such cases as diplomatic bargaining chips or to press for the release of Iranian prisoners abroad. In March of last year, the French government secured the release of an academic who had been held in Iran on national security charges named Roland Marshall as part of a prisoner swap. Now, Briere's lawyer said a couple months ago that his client was facing a propaganda charge because he asked in a social media post why headscarves were required for women in Iran but optional in some other predominantly Muslim countries. A, a conviction for propaganda can carry a jail term of three months to one year, but again, that espionage can be punishable by death. Um, let me see here. How did he end up in Iran? They don't. I'm looking through this New York Times story. Like it just boggles my mind. Like, so you're a foreigner, and you're going to go into Iran, and then you're going to fly a fucking drone around to various places like I don't just why would you do that I don't know I don't get it you guys it's the same mystery I have for people who flock to Dubai for vacation for vacation where they could toss you in jail if you like spit on the sidewalk or say a curse word outside I mean I, I just don't understand it now one more Iranian related story we've long talked here about those Iranian proxy militias in Iraq and uh, they wrote a story about how those Iran-backed militias in Iraq are threatening the United States there with more sophisticated weapons. And the U.S. is growing increasingly concerned with a rapidly evolving threat from these proxies in Iraq after they have seen more sophisticated weaponry, including armed drones. I think I've covered at least one of those, but at least three times in the past two months, those militias have used small, explosive-laden drones that dive bomb and crash into their targets in late-night attacks on Iraqi bases, including bases used by the CIA and United States Special Operations Units. So, they say that Iran is using these proxy militias in Iraq to step up pressure on the U.S., and other world powers to negotiate an easing of those harsh economic sanctions as part of that aforementioned 2015 nuclear deal. Um, the top American commander in the Middle East is General Kenneth McKenzie Jr., and he told the AP last month that the drones pose a serious threat and the military was trying to devise ways to combat them. Uh, the drones are rapidly becoming more sophisticated and they're a relatively low cost, right? I mean, you buy a few of these for 500 bucks, you know, tape a few blocks of C4 to them and just ram them into targets. I'm actually surprised this hasn't taken off more. And I'm sure, but it's going to grow as the drones become again, more sophisticated and much more inexpensive. Um, let's see here. Iran has used these proxy militias in Iraq since 2003 since late 2019, Iran-backed Iraqi Shiite militias have conducted more than 300 attacks 
against U.S. interest. They have killed four Americans and about 25 others. Um, this is like an escalation for the more common rocket attacks that have long plagued Baghdad, and I remember those well, and I'm sure, I know many of you listening have been in the green zone or the U.S. Embassy in Iraq, and you guys all remember sprinting for those bunkers as those rockets came in, and you hear the whooshing overhead, and uh, good times right there. And those attacks uh, are usually launched from mobile launchers, and they're usually aimed at that big-ass embassy sitting on the river in Baghdad. And now they say, Amer American analysts are saying that the militants are now targeting specific aircraft hangars where sophisticated armed MQ-9 Reaper drones are stationed in an attempt to disrupt or cripple the U.S. reconnaissance capability. Of course, the U.S. has used Reapers for their most sensitive strikes, including the killing of Iran's top terrorist general, Major General Qasem Soleimani. That's my title for him. That's not the New York Times title. Uh, the U.S. does have defenses to counter rocket, artillery, and mortar systems at installations in Iraq, but these armed drones fly too low to be detected by those defenses. Uh, I remember covering this uh, one drone attack on May. That was in the early morning hours of May 8th, and that was at the Al-Assad Air Base in western Anbar province. That attack caused no injuries but did damage an aircraft hangar. And three days after that, another drone struck just after midnight at an aircraft uh, airfield in Erbil, north of Erbil, that is used by the military's Joint Special Operations Command. Now, that explosive-laden drone crashed, and it didn't cause any damage, but still very concerning. Uh, just as a refresher, U.S. forces in Iraq do operate under strict Iraqi guidelines focused on fighting the Islamic State. Iraq does require that the U.S.-led coalition obtains approval to run their surveillance drones. Those drones are focused on parts of Iraq where there are still ISIS pockets and um, kind of puts the entire south of the country off limits, and this is where all those militias are. <laughs> There's a funny picture here in the New York Times. It shows Iraqi uh, for, uh, soldiers uh, firing at a drone, and they all got the rifles like pointed up in the air, and I'm like, oh, God, where are those bullets going to land? Now, there have been no U.S. forces or diplomats based south of Baghdad since the U.S. closed their consulate in the city of Basra. And they closed it because the Iranian threat was um, too much. Uh, anything else here? Uh, some of these drones have been partially recovered. And preliminary analyses did indicate that they were made in Iran. Uh, the drones are larger than the commercially available quadcopters. You guys are probably, those are the small helicopters with four rotors. Those are the kind that the Islamic State used in Mosul. But of course, they're much smaller than the MQ-9 Reapers, which are friggin' huge. Those have a 66-foot wingspan, by the way. Um, yeah, this is a, a very, very good article. Go read the whole thing for yourself. Uh, more conflict... And speaking of drones, let's go over to Libya. And they put out a report 
by the United Nations saying that a military drone that attacked soldiers during a battle in Libya's civil war last year may have done so without human control. They say they describe this drone uh, as having a lethal autonomous weapons system. And they say it was powered by artificial intelligence and it was used by forces backed by the government based in the capital of Tripoli against enemy militia fighters as they ran away from rocket attacks. And according to the report, the fighters, quote, were hunted down and remotely engaged by the unmanned combat aerial, aerial vehicles or the lethal autonomous weapon systems, end quote. This is nuts. The report continues. The weapon systems, quote, were programmed to attack targets without requiring data connectivity between the operator and the munition. In effect, a true fire, forget, and find capability, end quote. This is like Terminator shit. This is like the, uh, this is like the rise of the machines all over again. Now, this report was written by a panel of independent experts, and it's still under review. This drone is called a Cargo-2, and the soldiers were trying to run away. Uh, but this report said once in retreat, the soldiers were subject to continual harassment from the unmanned combat aerial vehicles and lethal autonomous weapon system. Um, that's wild. This is, this is going to get uh, even crazier, because now how long until you just don't even need an operator with the artificial intelligence that we're is rapidly becoming more and more sophisticated. You just punch in a few commands, throw them into the sky, and you don't even need to operate the thing. You're like, look for uh, this guy, these guys in this area, any military-age male, uh, and you can maybe, if, if you want to even discriminate, you can say, like, holding any kind of weapon, the AI scans uh, faces, area, looks for a weapon, and just engages on its own. Yeah. Uh, I'm just uh, scrolling down here. So far, the AI capabilities of drones do remain far below those of humans. For example, the machines can easily make mistakes, such as confusing a farmer holding a rake for an enemy soldier holding a gun. I mean, how much do you think they really care? Do you think the Iran-backed militias or whoever is going to care if their AI drones discriminate between the farmer and the guy holding a gun? I really doubt it. I mean, we, we would probably care. But yeah, another fascinating level in the new frontier of warfare. Uh, this is a crazy story. Let's uh, do something a little bit different. Let's talk about the French Open, the tennis match. I'm not talking about the tennis match itself. But I am interested in a player who was arrested at the French Open in a match-fixing investigation. And uh, this was the Russian tennis player, Yana Sizikova. She was arrested in Paris this week by French police. She was taken into custody on Thursday night in relation to an investigation dating back to October for sports corruption and organized gang fraud. Now, this week, Sizikova, she plays doubles, right? She lost uh, her match in the first round doubles match this week. Okay. Well, she was arrested 
after the match while leaving a massage session and her hotel room was searched before her arrest. Now, the arrest does relate to last year's tournament when bookmakers issued alerts for abnormal betting patterns during Sizikova's first round women's doubles match alongside Madison Brengel of the United States. They lost that match uh, to a Romanian duo. But during that match, hundreds of thousands of euros were reportedly wagered on a break of serve at 2-2 in set number two. Like, uh, like uh, in other words, like a single point in a, in a tennis match. And this was like a... And it's tennis. I mean, who fucking... What kind of degenerate gambler bets on, like, tennis? You know? I mean, and, and then, and then to, you're not even betting on the winner. You're betting on a single point. So, yeah, that's going to raise some eyebrows right there. Now, in that single point, Sizikova was culpable for three of the points conceded during her service game, including two double faults, right? So now they're like, hey, you probably just double faulted on purpose. I know some of you guys don't know shit about tennis, but, and I'm trying to spell this out as clearly as I can. Uh, she is denying the charges against her, but she could face up to five years in prison for this. Uh, that is crazy. I mean, don't make it so friggin' obvious, dude. Like, you can't be like, okay, on this one particular point, go ahead and serve both your serves into the net, as I bet hundreds of thousands of euros. I mean, be a little bit more subtle. See, that's the thing. If there wasn't so much fucking greed, you could probably get away with a lot more of this stuff. But they want to go big. few more international news stories. And let's go to this... Uh, ship disaster in Sri Lanka. If you guys hadn't heard about it, a fire has raged on a cargo ship off the coast of Sri Lanka now for like 12 friggin' days. And the authorities there are now opening up a criminal investigation because this cargo ship is laden with toxic chemicals. It's been spilling debris into the ocean, polluting the country's beaches. They say several tons of plastic pellets that were being transported on the ship has washed ashore. And Sri Lanka's Marine Protection Authority is now describing this spill as probably the worst beach pollution in our history. They say that this fire broke out ab uh, aboard this ship named the MV Express Pearl on May 20th. They say the fire has been contained, but uh, as of uh, Tuesday this week, you could still see thick black smoke rising from all these burned containers on the ship's deck. Uh, the captain of the Sri Lankan Navy, the spokesman, said the ship was carrying 1,486 containers, many of which contained so-called dangerous goods, including nitric acid, caustic sodium, sodium methoxide, and methane. And it was also loaded with 350 tons of oil. Oh, this is horrible. A marine biologist was quoted as saying, this is one of the worst marine disasters that has happened in Sri Lanka. So far, they say that the oil has not spilled out of the ship, which is a fucking miracle because I'm looking at a picture of it right now and there's, there's just like the ship looks like it's, like two feet from sinking in the water. There's burned containers everywhere, all tilted, all askew. The the middle of the ship look like looks like it's sagging. There's smoke everywhere. It, it's a friggin' mess. 
So let's hope that the oil continues to stay within the ship. But the police are questioning the ship's crew. Uh, There have been a a few injuries there. Um, And they're worried about all these plastic pellets because plastic pollution can be a danger to both humans and animals, including endangered species like turtles. Turtles very high on the animal hierarchy as far as the whole reptile thing. Are they amphibians? I don't know what they are. I like turtles. I like to see turtles. You know, the, the small turtles, I could take or leave. But you know the big-ass friggin' tortoises that like live for like 100 years? Yeah. Uh, I, I fuck with those. Those are cool. Okay, and over to Nigeria. Oh, this is a great story. Nigeria has banned Twitter. How about that? <laughs> uh... Yes, the Nigerian government says it has indefinitely suspended Twitter's operations in their country. The Ministry of Information and Culture. I love all these ministry names. They just sound like some, some, like old Soviet Union shit. But the Ministry of Information and Culture did announce in a statement, quote, the federal government has suspended indefinitely the operations of the microblogging and social networking service Twitter in Nigeria, end quote. They're accusing the American social media company of allowing their platform to be used for activities, quote, that are capable of undermining Nigeria's corporate existence, end quote. And some were having fun with the irony of announcing the ban on Twitter, uh, you know, so in other words, you're using Twitter to suspend Twitter. But this comes two days after Twitter deleted a tweet by Nigerian President Muhammad Buhari that was widely perceived as offensive. What was that tweet? Well, the Nigerian leader did threaten to deal with people in the country's southeast who he blames for recurring attacks on public infrastructure. So he wrote, quote, this is the deleted tweet, quote, many of those misbehaving today are too young to be aware of the destruction and loss of lives that occurred during the Nigerian Civil War. Those of us in the fields for 30 months who went through the war will treat them in the language they understand, end quote. What was he talking about? He was talking about the brutal two-year Nigeria-Biafra War which killed an estimated 1 to 3 million people. Jesus. This was between 1967 and 1970. That's wild. Most of those 1 to 3 million people were from a single tribe, the Igbo tribe. Anyway, the tweet was deleted after a bunch of Nigerians flagged it to Twitter. And uh, the president was not happy. So... Uh, let's see. Twitter said in a statement that it is deeply concerned by the blocking of Twitter in Nigeria. Again, which is also ironic because as you guys know, and as I've covered here extensively, Twitter kicks people off their platform constantly. Uh, but you know, but then you're like, okay, well, we're not going to play with you anymore. Then they fucking cry face to it. But, uh, let's see. So for an update, originally they said that you could still access Twitter, but from the early hours of now Saturday, Twitter's site does appear inaccessible for many Nigerians. More than 39 million Nigerians have a Twitter account. Uh, It's uh, popular in the country. You guys know Nigeria is Africa's most populous country. 
Uh, it was a popular medium for organizing last year's anti-police brutality protests. You guys remember the hashtag end SARS. SARS in this case not being COVID related. SARS was the name of that uh, secret police unit that was like going around beating the shit out of people. As a matter of fact, Jack Dorsey, Twitter's founder, he donated to the end SARS movement, which further drew the government's ire. Um, what else about this? The Nigerian Bar Association is threatening to take legal action against the Nigerian government if the Twitter ban is not reversed. So, you know, you could still use Twitter. Pro I mean, like if you have a VPN or a virtual private network, you know, that, that allows you to basically log on from wherever to wherever, which is very helpful. So if you have a VPN and you're in Nigeria, you could then still use uh, Twitter. So... Yeah, that's right. Twitter did announce in April, by the way, that it will set up its first Africa base in Ghana. That is the second most populous country in West Africa after Nigeria. So, yeah, there you go. Twitter under fire. And let us go to Mexico. That's right. Mexico, as I sit 20 minutes away from Mexico. Uh, you guys have been listening. You know that uh, Mexico's midterm elections are approaching, and they're calling this one of the bloodiest election seasons in recent history. A security consultancy firm says at least 89 politicians, including 35 candidates, have been killed in more than 200 days of campaigning. Separately from that, they registered 782 attacks against politicians and candidates, and those attacks range from verbal threats and intimidation to beatings, property damage, kidnappings, attacks on family members, and abuse of authority. Now, of these attacks, 75% were against opposition politicians, and 75% uh, of the politicians that were killed were also members of opposition parties. So uh, this is, so yeah, so this is like, uh, you could read this if you're reading between the lines as the establishment hiring their goon squad to go after these people who want reform. And it just shows you how difficult reform is in Mexico and these other Latin American basket cases. I mean, it's pretty bad. So the elections are what? They are on, uh, they're tomorrow, June 6th. And these elections are considered, by the way, the largest in the country's history. They will determine 15 of the 32 state governorships, a new lower house of Congress, and thousands of mayoral and local legislator posts. This is more than 20 positions in all will be determined. Nearly 95 million people in Mexico are eligible to vote. Uh, the El Presidente... AMLO, Andres Lopez Manuel Obrador, he will not be on the ballot. However, his left-wing Morena party and their allies are hoping to hold on to a two-thirds majority in what's called the Chamber of Deputies. It's one of their houses of Congress, I guess, to help the president push through policies in the first and the final three years of his term. Um, yeah, this is not the first time this has happened during an election campaign, of course. It is Mexico, after all. During the 2018 federal election, the same security firm reported a total of 774 acts of violence and 152 political killings. 
And in 2015, during the last midterm vote, the country also registered 61 political assassinations over nine months. God. Damn, dude. AMLO is blaming the rise in violence on the work of organized criminal gangs, of course, uh, accusing them of trying to prevent people from voting. And you guys have been listening. You know Mexico is completely controlled by the drug cartels. And uh, who would want to be a candidate in such a climate? I mean, would you run for office in Mexico knowing that you could get like just shot in the head one day? Probably not. So, yeah, it's not looking good for Mexico. What else? Uh, speaking of Mexico and related issues, let's talk about the border a little bit. Arrests of illegal immigrants with criminal backgrounds surged 900%. In a single sector, this was in the Laredo sector of Texas. As far as hard numbers, uh, let me see here. This is according to CBP. They put out a press release this week. And they said they had arrested 760 undocumented people since October in the Laredo sector. That's up from 60 arrests in the same time last year. And that does include gang members and sex offenders. Isn't that great? Oh, this is so great. And now, uh, of course, you guys know that Sleepy Joe has basically said, come on in and we're never going to deport you, which is ipso facto an open border, by the way. And I have to keep stressing that because I'm so friggin' sick. People going, oh, BK. Nobody wants open borders. Joe Biden d doesn't want open borders. And again, I counter that with saying, no, of course he's not going to come out and say, I want open borders, dummy. He's just going to let everyone in and then never deport anyone. What does that mean to you? I mean, to me, that's an open border. But I don't know. What do I know? Uh, the, uh, and again, they have undone those remain in Mexico protocols as well. So that's only adding to the, uh, complete mess here. And as covered extensively on this podcast, the data shows that migrants are flooding the border now because they believe Joe Biden said one, come on over and two, you're all welcome. Even indeed the aforementioned Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador did blame the new president for this crisis. And he said, yeah, there's expectations that Joe Biden has left in public that uh, gives migrants the perception that they're uh, all welcome here. So there you go. Okay, guys, let's bring it back to the United States. And I know a lot of you guys uh, messaged me about this and I want to get into it. I'm not sure how much time I'm going to spend on it, but uh, I, I covered it a little bit last week, but this is again, the lab leak theory of COVID-19. And you all know now that Dr. Anthony Fauci's email dump has been released. And I got some clips on there as well. And there's been uh, way more traction on this because what happened was the lab leak hypothesis was basically put off limits. And as I told you last week, I wouldn't discount any possibility and how anybody could, especially if you're a scientist, right? You're a scientist. Science is basically discounting nothing. 
you either prove something's false or you, you, you create hypotheses and you test them and you arrive at a theory. And then that theory is examined by other scientists, and that's the scientific process, right? So for a scientist just to say offhand, oh, no, that couldn't, that, that's not true, that's false, is idiotic. And I just have to say as an aside, man, the scientific community has really damaged themselves so tremendously in the last year, and it's not just about the lab leak thing. Really, for me, I've mentioned this several times, really for me where the real damage was done was when all those scientists and doctors and nurses came out and said, uh, by the way, yes, uh, we realize that gathering in large groups is dangerous, but we're going to go ahead and support the Black Lives Matter protests and marches anyway because that's more important. As if the virus would discriminate between one gathering or the other. That was, that was so damaging to their reputation. I can't even tell you. For me, that ruined it. For me, it's just you're a political hack now. You're not a scientist. So let's talk about this lab leak theory. By the way, you guys, uh, you should go read this, the longest definitive article on this. Is this long article at Vanity Fair. I'm going to hit a few paragraphs, but I want you to Google the following headline. Quote, the lab leak theory inside the fight to undercover COVID-19's origins. End quote. Okay, that's the name of it. Uh, I'm just going to uh, go through this a little bit. Now... Remember, they're trying to figure out where SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes the disease, COVID-19, came from. The prevailing theory was that it jumped from bats to some other species before making the leap to humans at that market in China. So that China market was the Huanan wholesale market in the city of Wuhan, and they sell all that crazy Asian food there, all those suspicious foods. A handful of fenders sold those live wild animals. But Wuhan is also home to China's foremost coronavirus research laboratory, housing one of the world's largest collections of bat samples and bat virus strains. Now, knowing that, again, why would you blow off or discount the theory that maybe it came out of the lab? I mean, just by freaking coincidence, the city where the virus came out of is home to a lab that does extensive research on bat viruses, for God's sakes. You don't think it's just even possible? I don't know. Uh, there was a scientist. This was the Wuhan Institute of Virology, by the way, is the name of the place. The lead coronavirus researcher was named Shi Zheng Li. She became known in China as Bat Woman for her fearless exploration of bat caves to collect samples and uh yeah so it seems natural right to ask whether this had leaked from one of the virology institute's labs and she the scientist strenuously denied that and then the big one was on february 19th 2020 the lancet that is one of the most respected and influential medical journals in the world they published a statement way back in february 19 2020 that basically rejected the lab leak hypothesis and they tried to like paint it as a you know xenophobic uh, theory that was akin to climate change denialism and anti-vaxism and it was signed by 27 scientists like how the fuck would you know you're some scientist in like north america how the hell would you know 
And they, the statement expressed solidarity with all scientists, blah, blah, blah. So that statement pretty much ended the debate over COVID-19's origins. And after that, it was like completely taboo to say, as Trump infamously did, hey, maybe it came out of the lab because then you're, you know, you're siding with the anti-vaxxers, climate change deniers, the orange man, worst of all. And that set the tone. So amateurs began looking into it, including a guy uh, named Giles, G-I-L-L-E-S, not sure how to pronounce that, Giles Demanouf. He's a data scientist with the Bank of New Zealand in Auckland. But anyway, he's all into data. He's like one of these weird guys who can detect patterns. So he just began kind of looking at this and he discovered that there had been four incidences of SARS-related lab breaches since 2004, two of them occurring at a top laboratory in Beijing. So he published his findings in a Medium post. If you guys want to go read that, that is titled, quote, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, A Review of SARS Lab Escapes, end quote. So that got some attention, and a bunch of other people, these are all like amateur guys, started like kind of looking around this. And again, they all seemed like, uh, you know, crackpots to them. And then all kinds of other stuff came out. And I don't know, I think it's worth examining something because since December December 1st, 2019, this is like, you know, killed more than three and a half million people. So maybe we should fucking figure out where it came from so it doesn't happen again. Maybe. I love this story, though. Here's a great sentence in this Vanity Fair article as I scroll through it. It's funny. I'm going to read this sentence. It's a quote. And yet, in the wake of the Lancet statement and under the cloud of Donald Trump's toxic racism, which contributed to an alarming wave of anti-Asian violence in the U.S., end quote. Do you think all the homeless dudes beating up Asians in the street were really paying attention to what Donald Trump was saying or the uh, or what was happening in Wuhan? I seriously doubt it. Anyway, this Vandy Fair investigation is was months long. It reviewed hundreds of pages of U.S. government documents, and it found all kinds of crazy shit, including from the U.S. State Department. In one State Department meeting, officials seeking to demand transparency from the Chinese government say that they were explicitly told by colleagues not to explore the Wuhan Institute of Virology's gain-of-function research because it would bring unwelcome attention to U.S. government funding of it. There you go. There you go. Remember, the gain-of-function research is taking a virus and, like, for some reason, seeing if you can, like, make it more powerful or more transmissible. That's what gain-of-function is. Uh, but, yes, an, an internal memo obtained by Vandy Fair, a guy named Thomas Denano former acting assistant secretary of the State Department's Bureau of Arms Control, Verification, and Compliance. God, that's a title. He wrote um, that staff from two bureaus warned leaders within his bureau, quote, not to pursue an investigation into the origin of COVID-19 because it would, quote, open a can of worms if it continued, end quote. Yeah, and they considered this not simply as unlikely or inaccurate, but as morally out of bounds. In late March of last year, former Center for Disease Control Director Robert Redfield, he said he received death threats from fellow scientists. 
after telling CNN that he believed COVID-19 had originated in a lab. Yet not fucking whack jobs on Twitter. His fellow scientists gave him death threats. Wow. Uh, one guy, who's this guy? He is the Board of Governors Professor of Chemistry and Chemical Biology at Rutgers University, Dr. Richard Ebright. Sounds like a pretty uh, good resume, right? He said that from the very first reports of a novel bat-related coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan, it took him, quote, a nanosecond or a picosecond, end quote, to consider a link to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Because, as I told you last week, only two other labs in the world were doing similar research. One is in Galveston, Texas, and the other one is in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. As the doctor said, it's not a dozen cities, it's three places. And it turns out that that Lancet statement I told you that set the tone for all this, it was organized by a zoologist named Peter Dazak. What did he do? Well, it just so happened that Peter Dazak repackaged U.S. government grants and allocated them to facilities conducting gain-of-function research. Among them, guess who? The Wuhan Institute for Virology. So do you think it might be in Dazak's best interest not to fucking have this pursued as in, as the origin of COVID-19? Just maybe. Oh, this is this goes on and on, uh, you guys. And uh, uh, I'm just going down here because, uh, okay, let me get to this part. I mentioned the State Department earlier and how they were told, basically, don't fucking do anything that would point to the U.S. government's role in this gain-of-function research. Well, on December 9th, 2020, roughly a dozen State Department employees from four different bureaus gather in a conference room to discuss an upcoming fact-finding mission to Wuhan, because this was kind of uh, already going on. And after that advice, saying, look, don't say anything, some of the attendees were floored. They were shocked that somebody in the U.S. government could make an argument that is so nakedly against transparency in light of an unfolding catastrophe. And that aforementioned Thomas DeNano said that when these State Department group were repeatedly advised not to open this Pandora's box, the admonitions, quote, smelled like a cover-up and I wasn't going to be part of it, end quote. Anyway, I'm going to leave that there, you guys, just because it goes on and on and on. And and then let's go to these Fauci emails. And I've got some audio, video, uh, audio here. More than 3,200 pages of emails were obtained through a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit filed by BuzzFeed News. Now, this covers the period from January to June 2020. Um, and they were pretty illuminating, including one of them that said basically that masks don't really do anything. That was my favorite one. And uh, they also were, it was funny too, there was also some um, emails from health professionals that uh, wrote him with harsh criticism of Trump's handling of the pandemic, but uh, they, they were pretty much fishing for Fauci to say, yes, orange man, bad, orange man, bad. Uh, but he really didn't uh, take the bait. He would just answer stuff like, uh, yes, thank you for your concern. Um, so here's the, here's the fucking email about the masks. This was an email 
from Sylvia Burwell, the former Health and Human Services Secretary who emailed Fauci on February 5th, 2020 and asked him if she should take a mask to the airport. Here's how Dr. Anthony Fauci responded. Quote, Masks are really for infected people to prevent them from spreading infection to people who are not infected rather than protecting uninfected people from acquiring infection. The typical mask you buy in a drugstore is not really effective in keeping out virus, which is small enough to pass through the material. It might, however, provide some slight benefit to keep out gross droplets if someone coughs or sneezes on you. I do not recommend that you wear a mask, particularly since you are going to a very low-risk location. End quote. Now, I'm not going to bash him too much for the wear a mask or don't wear a mask thing, because at the time. Because it's back in February. There was a lot we didn't know. You know, I, I give people a lot of leeway. But that's what enrages me now about the religious cult about the mask now. When people, especially, there's, there's still people out here in California are walking down the sidewalk with nobody within 50 feet of them and it's 80 degrees outside and they're wearing a mask. We still have those people, many of them. So pretty funny stuff. I do have a few clips here from Fauci. Let us... Um, here he is talking, here he is on CNN, Dr. Anthony Fauci. And they ask him about that email about admitting masks don't really protect from COVID. Let's hear how he responds. There was an email from you to Sylvia Burwell, the, the former HHS secretary that had to do with masks. And this is getting a great deal of attention. And the date here is February 5th, which I think is hugely important. She apparently had asked you whether she should wear a mask on a trip. Uh, and you responded to her concluding, I do not recommend that you wear a mask, particularly since you are going to a very low-risk location. That was February 5th. A lot has transpired since then. If you had to go back and do it all over again, um, would you tell her something different? Do you regret that? Well, you know, John, let's get real here. If you look at scientific information as it accumulates, what is going on in January and February, what you know as a fact, as data, guides what you tell people and your policies. If March, April, May occur, you accumulate a lot more information and you modify and adjust your opinion and your recommendation based on the current science and current data. So, of course, if we knew back then that a substantial amount of transmission was asymptomatic people, if we knew then that the data show that masks outside of a hospital setting are actually do work when we didn't know it then. If we realized all of those things back then, of course, mm -hmm. you're asking a question, would you have done something different if you know what you know now? Of course people would have done that. That's so obvious. So President Biden yesterday was... Okay, let me stop him there. So, again... I agree with them because you know the, the biggest, the hardest thing for people to do is is change change your mind on something. You know when when new facts come in. However, the the virus didn't change in size, so is it too small to go through the fucking mask or not? That hasn't changed either. That's a thing or it hasn't or it's not. So are the I see the stupid John Berman from CNN. He asked the fucking dumbest questions. You can tell he's deeply impressed with Fauci. And Fa I don't hate Fauci or anything, but these guys go on CNN because he knows it's safe. 
If it's me asking the question, I'd be about asking about the particle size. I wouldn't be like, would you go back and do something different? That's such an open-ended question, and you can hear it allows Fauci to like just filibuster, say, blah, blah, scientific method. Of course, I would do stuff different. Of course he would. I'm sure many people would do stuff different. Hindsight's 2020. But why don't you nail them down about the particle size and say, well, if is that true? Has the virus changed in size? Can it still slip through those masks that everybody's been demanding we wear? And if so, what is the point of still wearing them? And what was the point of ever wearing them? Uh, let's see. Now, let's. here he is on the same show with John Berman, stupid John Berman. And he is asked about the possible China lab leak. Let's listen to this. Over, not a lab release. From the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That email was April 18th. Now, there are some of your critics who say this shows you have too cozy of a relationship with the people behind the Wuhan lab research. What do you say to that? Oh, that's nonsense. I don't even see how they get that from that email. That email was sent to me from them. I have always said, and will say today to you, John, that I still believe the most likely uh, origin is from an animal species to a human. But I keep an absolutely open mind that if there may be other origins of that, that's not what he was saying a fucking month ago. I believe if you look historically, what happens in the animal human interface, that in fact, the more likelihood is that you're dealing with a jump of species. But I keep an open mind all the time. And that's the reason why I have been public, that we should continue to look. For the origin, that email in no way you can misconstrue it however you want. That email was from a person to me saying thank you for, for whatever it is he thought I said. And I said that I think the most likely origin is a jumping of species. I still do think it is at the same time as I'm keeping an open mind that it might be a lab leak. There was an email on April 16th, an email exchange between you and NIH Director Francis Collins. The email sent to you said, conspiracy theory gains momentum. And this, again, was the idea of the lab leak. Those emails, though, as you can see on the screen, or I can see on the screen, was all redacted between you and Francis Collins. Yeah. Do you happen to remember? It, it, you know, Do you remember John, what was in the email? <laughs> John, they only took about 10,000 emails from me. Of course I remember. I remember all 10,000 of them. Give me a break. <laughs> so, but to be clear, you're saying you don't remember. You can't tell us what, what was in no, the body of that exchange. I, I, I don't remember what's in that redacted. But, there, I mean, the idea, I think, is quite far-fetched that the Chinese deliberately engineered something so that they could kill themselves as well as other people. Uh, I, I think that's a bit far out. Okay, term. all right, let me stop there. That's, uh, that's, that's illuminating. First of all, Boy, he said open mind quite a bit, right? Did Dr. Fauci say last February of 2020 when that Lancet letter came out? Did he speak out against that letter saying, hey, I don't know why you're dismissing this lab leak hypothesis. I'm keeping an open mind. Did Dr. Anthony Fauci do that? No, he did not. Did he say that when Rand Paul was giving him shit like a month or two ago? No, he did not. He's changing his tune a little bit. And, uh, and again, that last part, where he's like, I think it's crazy that the Chinese would engineer this. and, and really, uh, why Again, why would you discount anything? What is the point of this gain-of-function research exactly? I keep reading how it's you're taking a virus, existing virus, and you're basically juicing it up to make it more transmittable or more deadly. But 
Nobody's explained to me why they're doing that. Why are you doing that? I heard something about like, well, it's, it's used to, that way we can combat other viruses. And I'm like, well, that didn't fucking work. <laughs> if it would have, this gain of function research would have killed off the SARS-2 COVID virus, right? Isn't that the point of the gain of function research? And it didn't. So what was the friggin' point? And then, well, another clip here. He also went on Nicole Wallace on MSNBC, who basically sucked him off on TV and uh, said how good these emails made him look. And just on this point of of your public profile, I I read through your emails that were released, and I I just want to read one of them. Um, There were a lot of inquiries about your public profile. I mean, this very conversation was much harder to have under the ex-president. And this was your response to one um, about whether or not you'd have a press conference. You wrote, yikes, that would make four days in a row without a press conference for me, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and tomorrow. I wonder if you feel like you're still making up some of that lost ground from many months under the last administration of not just no information, but disinformation being out there. Do you still see some hardness among his supporters around the vaccine or around some of these messages you're sharing with us today? Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that there are people out there who, for one reason or other, resent me for what I did in the last administration, which was not anything that was anti-Trump at all. It was just trying. Okay. All right. Let me go. Let me move on here. Because they did ask Sleepy Joe about Fauci uh, amid the email contract. I'm going to be having a talk this afternoon. I'll be able to report you after that. Are you expecting a counteroffer, Mr. President? I'll tell you after I meet this afternoon. Mr. President, you talk cops to Dr. Fauci? And he walks away. He didn't say anything. Oh, there you go. He stuck his head. He walked out the door and he stuck his head back and he said, I don't know if you guys could hear it. He said, yes, I'm quite confident in Dr. Fauci. And then finally, to wrap up this segment, here is ABC's John Carl on the Wuhan leak laboratory theory. And basically saying, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, look foolish because they just dismissed this out of hand because Trump said it might be true. And yes, I think a lot of people have egg on their face. This was an idea uh, that that was first put forward by Mike Pompeo, Secretary of State, Donald Trump. And look, some things may be true even if Donald Trump said them. And there was, because Trump was saying so much else that was just out of control and because he was, uh, you know, making a a, a frankly racist appeal talking about Kung flu and and the China virus, his notion put forward that this may have or that he said flatly that this this came from that lab was widely dismissed. But actually, there's some real reason. We don't know, by the way. We still don't know. We absolutely don't know. Uh, But now serious people are saying it needs a serious. Yeah, there you go. Serious people are saying fucking media, dude. What a joke. Okay, so there's your Fauci update. And from there, we might as well uh, just do a quick um, coronavirus update. Let's see. Total reported cases in the United States, 33,352,885. That is a minus 47% change in the 14-day change. As far as deaths, total reported deaths in the United States, 596,483. That is a minus 30% in the 14-day change. 
As far as vaccinated, 41% of Americans are now fully vaccinated. 51% have at least one dose on board. Um, Before Memorial Day weekend, new cases had dropped below 22,000 per day on average for the first time since June of 2020. And uh, yes, that is very good. Uh, Do I have anything else about here? Let me just click on this uh, new tab here. Vaccinate. I'm looking at a vaccination map. Um, the Midwest is looking less vaccinated than those uh, dang coastal elites, as one might expect. And what else? Let's go to that uh, live scrolling page. Uh, one interesting wrinkle, as the pandemic recedes in the U.S., anti-mask laws that have focused on the Ku Klux Klan are resurfacing. That's right. More than a dozen states do have laws barring people from covering their faces in public, and most of them were ordinances passed to deter the Ku Klux Klan. And when the pandemic hit, those laws were suspended or not enforced, as mask wearing, of course, became uh, pretty common. So now they're asking, what do we do with these old mask laws? Because when Virginia's coronavirus state of emergency expires on june 30th a mask ban from 1950 that was an anti-clan law will come back into force so they're trying to like figure out uh how how they're gonna like are they gonna repeal these laws or are they gonna make an exception for a medical mask of some kind or or what are they gonna do and anti-mask laws have been invoked over the years in a variety of ways. A federal appeals court ruled in 2004 that the New York Police Department was justified in denying an outdoor rally permit to an organization that called itself the Church of the American Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. That permit was denied on the grounds that participants would be violating the state's anti-mask law. And then in 2011, you guys remember the Occupy Wall Street movement? In 2011, NYPD officers arrested many of those Occupy protesters and charged them with wearing masks in public. Um, Yeah, a couple others. 2018, police officers in Alabama invoked an anti-mask law to arrest a man after he led a protest against an officer-involved shooting of a black man. Uh, New York's 1845 anti-mask law is actually the oldest anti-mask law in the country. It was repealed in May of 2020. It was, you know what, you know why they passed that 1845 law? It was passed during an armed uprising by cash strapped wheat farmers who disguised themselves as native Americans during protests over rent arrangements. (laughs) Uh, That's funny. A more, a more, one more related to the Klan was, of course, in Alabama. That dated to 1949. And that was spurred by outrage over a dawn raid by three dozen Klansmen on an interracial Girl Scout camp. So, yes. Fascinating stuff there. What else? India's capital region of New Delhi will ease some coronavirus restrictions on Monday. Um, They endured one of the world's most ferocious outbreaks in April and May. But they have seen reports of new cases drop by 85% over the past two weeks and reports of new deaths have plummeted. So they say um, that situation is under control. As far as the federal federal, uh, relief, the money, 
25 Republican-led states are limiting or cutting off federal relief for workers, and that is ahead of schedule. Uh, Iowa is one of 25 states that have recently decided to halt some or all emergency benefits months ahead of schedule. The U.S. Labor Department issued that report yesterday, Friday, that showed that job growth fell below expectations. I'll have more on that later for the second month in a row. So these Republicans are arguing that this pandemic jobless relief is hindering the recovery. Now, that assistance was renewed just in March, and it's funded through September 6th, but they're ending it early because they're saying, like, people don't want to work. That's debatable, of course, but it certainly can't be, again, dismissed out of hand. Florida will no longer update its COVID-19 dashboard and will suspend daily case and vaccination reports. Uh, They say that there is no need to keep issuing the reports and the state is returning to normal. In the past two weeks, Florida has seen a 43% drop in coronavirus cases and deaths, and 50% of Floridians have received at least one vaccine dose. Uh, Anything else here? Let's go on. Of course, travel is picking up. That's right. Mm. Britain is coming back. Uh, Thailand is having a little bit of an outbreak. They went for months without a single confirmed case of local transmission. But uh, then uh, two nightclubs in Bangkok became the epicenter of what is now the country's biggest and deadliest surge. Let's see. Anything else around the world? Latin America is undergoing a surge. They are recording rising infections and stagnating vaccination rates. Six Latin American nations, that would be Uruguay, Argentina, Colombia, Chile, Paraguay, and Costa Rica, rank among the top 10 globally for new cases reported per 100,000 residents. Um, Argentina is experiencing its worst moment since the pandemic began. Yeah, Just because the U.S. is kind of like really at the end of it, and it's pretty much over here, it's not over other places around the world. Peru said that their COVID-19 death toll was almost three times as high as it officially counted. That makes it one of the hardest hit nations relative to population. The government, in a report released on Monday, said that 180,764 people had died from COVID-19. That is compared with an official death toll of around 68,000. Anything else here? Just scrolling down. Remember, those Tokyo Olympics are still going on, but uh, a lot of people are not happy about that. So I I don't know. I still think they're going to cancel them, but we'll see. And then finally, guys, just to wrap up the COVID thing, COVID has killed over 5% of lawmakers in Congo's parliament. That's right, the Democratic Republic of Congo, where the coronavirus has now claimed the lives of 32 lawmakers. And... The toll in Congo is also rising as the country struggles to roll out the vaccines. Congo is Africa's second largest country by population. It has reported over 31,000 coronavirus cases and 786 deaths. Um, They just received in early March 1.7 million AstraZeneca shots. And the authorities delayed delivering those shots until mid-April after several European countries suspended their use because of very rare blood clots. Well, that was fucking stupid. 
Remember I went in on that at the time? Remember it was like six people out of like two million? And I'm like, really? So you're going to risk a global, a, a fucking pandemic through your whole country because of six out of two million? That was idiotic. A little risk analysis, please. Who are these people for a perfect world? They fucking blow my mind. Uh, let's see. So, yeah, and then Congo, as you remember from last week, this is coming all as uh, tens of thousands of people fled the eastern city of Goma after the eruption of one of the world's most active volcanoes, Mount Nyiragongo. So the virus uh, looks like it's sweeping through Africa a lot more. All right, guys, that's your coronavirus update. Let us move on. Let's go to a few amusing stories here. Let's talk about 70-year-old Jerry Detrick. Who is Jerry Detrick? Well, he's a Trump fan. Why is he in the news? Well, he was issued a misdemeanor citation for littering on Sunday. And he got this citation for defecating on his neighbor's lawn multiple times because he is a Democrat who supports Joe Biden. (laughs) The neighbor is a guy named Matthew Guillette. He called 911 after seeing a man squatting and relieving himself near a hedge at his house around 3.15 in the morning. Jesus. So Guillette confronts the man, later identified as Detrick, who just got up and walked away. He claimed initially that, no, no, I was just walking past the home. I didn't poop on his property. But then he admitted it. After he was released, he actually told the officer that he'd actually uh, pooped in the same yard multiple times. He did so because he was a Trump guy. This is all in the smoking gun, by the way, if you want to uh, uh, go read it. That's funny. Oh, man. Shitting in a guy's yard over politics. Man, that's uh, that's really something. And then uh, here's a little audio clip for you. I'm not sure how good this is. I only listened to the first few seconds. A woman went completely insane in Ocala, Florida. She decided to like trash this restaurant. The catch is she's completely nude. Well, I shouldn't say completely. She is wearing a pair of flip-flops on her feet. Other than that, completely fucking buck-ass nude. She eventually, you'll hear the cop come in and threaten a taser, which he does. But I'm going to go ahead and play this clip because you hear some dude trying to reason with this nut job, which always cracks me up. I always like the people who try to reason with somebody who's obviously and completely insane. Let's uh, listen to this. Call Jackie, Jackie. Ma'am, please. Call my sister. Please get down. Yeah. Who's your sister? Throwing shit, breaking shit. They're all liquor bottles. <laughs> all right, he's thrown away. I'm waiting for this cop to come in. All the employees are just like, oh, what the fuck? Okay. All right, here comes the cop. 
She's throwing bottles at him now. She rode the lightning there. Yeah, that's right. She wasn't, you know, she had a pretty nice body actually from a distance anyway, which is kind of weird because I always suspect somebody like that would be just like just completely hideous. Okay, let's go to the big news out of California. And I told you guys on Instagram at BK Actual, I was going to talk about this. Of course, this is a federal judge who late last night overturned the state's three decade-old ban on assault weapons, which he called a failed experiment. And Gavin Newsom, hapless governor Gavin Newsom, is not happy. Uh, California prohibited the sale of assault weapons in 1989. The law was challenged in a lawsuit filed in 2019 against the state's attorney general by plaintiffs, including the San Diego County gun owners. Well, the judge, who is now trending on Twitter, by the way, Roger Benitez, of the U.S. District Court for the U.S. Southern District of California wrote that sections of the state's penal code that defined assault weapons and restricted their use were, quote, hereby declared unconstitutional and shall be enjoined, end quote. But he did grant a 30-day stay of the ruling at the request of California Attorney General Rob Bonta. That is a move that would allow Bonta to appeal it. He wrote that the, Benitez wrote that the case was about, quote, what should be a muscular constitutional right and whether a state can force a gun policy choice that impinges on that right with a 30-year-old failed experiment. Government is not free to impose its, new, its own new policy choices on American citizens where constitutional rights are concerned, end quote. He went on to say, that these firearms banned under the state's law were not bazookas or machine guns or howitzers, but rather, quote, fairly ordinary, popular, modern rifles, end quote. Well, hapless Governor Gavin Newsom called the ruling a direct threat to public safety and the life of innocent Californians. Yeah, like there's like that's the problem. Um, he also criticized the opening lines of Judge Benitez's decision in which he wrote that, like a Swiss Army knife, Swiss Army knife is also trending on Twitter, the AR-15 assault rifle, quote, is a perfect combination of a home defense weapon and homeland defense equipment, end quote. Uh, yes. So Newsom wrote that comparing the gun to a Swiss Army knife completely undermines the credibility of the decision and that they slap in the face the family to have lost loved ones to this weapon. Uh, so they're very uh, unhappy and the judge is getting shit on all over uh, Twitter. So, let me see here. What else about this? Benitez was appointed as a district court judge in 2003. By the way, he is the same judge who, in 2017, blocked a new California law that would have banned magazines of more than 10 rounds. Then, a three-judge panel from the U.S. Court of Appeals for Ninth Circuit upheld his ruling last year, but now they're going to rehear that case with an 11 judge panel. I don't know when that's supposed to happen. So that's still, so, so we still are prevented from having magazines of more than 30 rounds. <laughs> Good thing I don't have any of those. 
Uh, so, yes, they are shitting themselves all over social media. But what else about guns? Gun buying did spike during the pandemic, if you guys didn't know, and it's still way up. Uh, it's uh, The gun sales have been going crazy. In March of last year, federal background checks, which are often used as a proxy for purchases, topped $1 million in a single week for the first time be- since the government began tracking them in 1998. And the buying continued. A week this spring broke the record with 1.2 million background checks. And they say usually there's like peaks and valleys to this shit and that it usually slows down, but this time it just kept going. Not only were people who already had guns buying more, but people who had never owned one were buying them too. New preliminary data show that about a fifth of all Americans who bought guns last year were first-time gun owners. And... The data showed that new owners were less likely than usual to be white and male. Half of them were women, a fifth were black, and a fifth were Hispanic. The data also found some good data here. 39% of American households own guns. That is up from 32% in 2016. Uh, Yeah, there's been a big gun run. Um, you guys remember last, last week I covered this one, Texas became the 20th state to pass legislation that says a permit is not required to carry a concealed handgun. And, uh, that's right. As for gun owners overall in 21, six, 2021, 63% of all gun owners are male. 73% of gun owners overall are white. 10% are black. 12% are Hispanic. Uh, purchases have been rising steadily over the past decade, and it started with a jump around the beginning of 2013. Guys, pop quiz. What was the big fucking event in 2013? And if you said the Sandy Hook shooting, you would be correct. Because you know those big gun uh, disasters where a mass shooting happens? That's when people go buy guns because they think it's going to be banned. Uh, sales did not change much under former President Donald Trump, but they exploded in 2020 up by 64% from 2019. The single highest month last year was in June. That was as protests swept across the country after the murder of George Floyd. Americans bought more than 2.3 million guns just in January. (laughs) Jeez. Estimates of the total number of guns in circulation range as high as 400 million. Wow. And this kind of uh, coincides with a lot of crime. Let's uh, continue talking about guns and crime because out here in Los Angeles, I'm going to talk about Los Angeles County Sheriff Alex Villanueva. He has released startling numbers about the increase in crime last year. According to Sheriff Villanueva, L.A. County reported a 95% increase in homicides compared to the same time period in 2020. In addition, L.A. County is also seeing a 40% increase in grand theft auto and an 8% increase in rape and a 22% increase in arson. So now he is saying he 
is going to expand the concealed weapons permits. Of course, you guys don't know, you don't live in here in California, it's notoriously fucking difficult to get a concealed weapons permit. I would tell you guys to go on his Instagram account. It's um at L-A-C-O Sheriff because he, he put out like a whole briefing on that and he's pretty active on it. I don't have time to play the whole thing. But one of the things he did say was he's going to expand these permits because they're like, hey, if you're going to cut my funding, I am going to increase our capacity to process these permits. Now, you still can't just show up and get one for nothing. You still have to have like kind of a, a reason. Villanueva, remember guys, the county sheriff is the final authority and is the sole authority for issuing a concealed weapons permit. And you have to have what they call the good cause standard. They have issued only 904 permits since Villanueva assumed office in 2019. But he's also taken it upon himself to kind of like clean up this like uh, homeless shit. He went on Bruce Buffer, the UFC's announcer. He went on his podcast to kind of talk about it. So I am going to play this because it's a shorter clip. Here's a Sheriff Villanueva. But it's not in L.A. We should not shoulder the burden of the homeless problem for the entire nation. Right. And this is a federal level. Now let's go up in, in steps a bit. At the county level, at the federal level, it's a regional crisis. We have to treat it and triage it as a regional problem. I have the authority as sheriff to actually, uh, in fact, um, let's pull up the, the three codes. Where's a printout 26, 600, 601 and 602. This is good information for you and your, your viewers. I know I had a supervisor already ask, hey, what is he doing in Venice there, the sheriff? That's uh, LAPD jurisdiction. And we say, the bear goes everywhere. It's LA County. Damn right. A simple like answer, it. but we'll give like you more specific it. on that. I like it. And now we're moving up the state level. Governor Newsom uh, wants to defend a recall by just shoveling a ton of money off planes, I guess I know, release them in the sky to float down to the earth for the homeless situation. <laughs> He lost 11 billion plus, possibly up to 30 billion on the EDD fraud. Yes! Oh my God! An awful lot of, of goods and services that get people off their, you know, on their feet and back into some semblance of normalcy, where they can reintegrate in society. We have a homeless outreach service team. We established the five-step county protocol to deal with breaking up encampments. It is a very compassionate, common sense one that has a finality to it. And we said, okay, at this point, we've identified all the bed space, we comply with the Boise agreement, and it's time to leave. And we're gonna assist you in leaving, but they will leave. And then we clean up behind them and restore it to its original state. That is so good. I didn't, I didn't know that was in the clip. That's literally the first time I've heard an elected official in California talk about the EDD fraud. Uh, like, like it's unbelievable and he's taken it upon himself you heard him he's like the bear goes everywhere because this is coming in the face of especially in venice where the boardwalk is just fucking gnarly now it's so disgusting it's just overrun by encampments because the local councilman there who used to be homeless himself i know go google it mike bonin and He's allowed this to fester and said the LAPD isn't allowed to move anybody. So you have these like crazed hobo encampments and Alex Villanueva is finally like, you know what? I'm sheriff and this is still LA County. So if LAPD is not going to do anything, then I'm going to do something. So good on him. Even though he's a sanctuary city guy, he's absolutely right about this. And he's absolutely right about uh, 
uh, everything else he said. And and I would tell you, go watch that Instagram thing. I, I heard him on another radio show, and he was just dropping bombs. He was talking shit about Eric Garcetti, the L.A. mayor. He was talking smack about Newsom. He was talking smack about the homeless industrial complex, where basically this is like a massive complex now where there's, there's like billions of dollars here so every fucking swing and dick has a non-profit or some kind of uh you know advocacy group and they're all lined up at the trough and none of that money goes to the homeless and none of that money goes to build new facilities where we can put these people the money goes to these non-profit groups and it goes to consultants and it goes to all this other nonsense and all it does is pay for high salaries and wages and none of it makes it down to the street. So good on him for doing that. Okay. What else? Well, let's, uh, I talked about that jobs report a little bit. Not, I'm not going to spend, it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but uh, let's talk about it. Uh, the United States did add 559,000 jobs in May, but many employers report having trouble finding applicants. And uh, let's see, one, oh, several economists, economists said that they did not expect the pace of hiring to pick up steam until at least the fall when they believe a majority of the population will be vaccinated. And also, again, that's when those pandemic-related jobless benefits come to an end. But that is lower than what they expected. The unemployment rate did fall to 5.8%. That's the first time it dropped below 6% since the pandemic um, started. So what else in the business world? Let's talk about AMC, the movie theater chain the, with, with the crazy meme stock. And I know, shout out to my man on fucking uh, Instagram who called me a boomer for when I ridiculed AMC dropping by like 60%. Yeah, I'm such. I, I'm a boomer. I, I'm, by the way, I'm not a boomer. Just technically Gen X, uh, and also, yeah. If if fucking not wanting to lose seventy percent of my money makes me a boomer, then yeah, so be it. But yeah, AMC is now raising more money thanks to this meme stock mania. They said it raised uh, raised one point two billion dollars in capital this quarter. That is nuts. So they're basically issuing new shares of stock is how this works. On Thursday, they sold $587 million worth of stock in a matter of hours. Remember AMC, the technical name is AMC Entertainment Holdings. They were on the verge of bankruptcy a few months ago, but now they're embracing this status. So now they're collecting all this cash that investors want to throw at it. Even they are admitting that their market price has very little to do with the state of their actual business. As a matter of fact, the company cautioned against buying these shares unless investors were willing to risk, quote, losing all or a substantial portion of your investment, end quote. Well, of course, they ignored those warnings and they snapped up $587 million in new issued shares in just over four hours. Oh, uh, just in case you don't know, AMC lost $149 million in 2019. The business has $5.4 billion in long-term debt and $5 billion in long-term leases. But again, none of this matters to a meme stock. They're just like, hey, let's uh, fucking play with all this fake money we have. 
the, it doubled in value last week. It rose 23% on Tuesday, and then it went up 95% on Wednesday. That leaves it up more than 500% over the last month. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I mean, if you time it right, you, can you make money? Absolutely. But I'm telling you, a lot of these guys are fucking getting burned. Of course, nobody talks about the losses they take. That's like rule number one on social media I know. Everybody just talks about how much money they made. Nobody tells, Nobody talks about their losses. So what else? Let's go to Minneapolis. Yeah, it happened again. They one more time have protests in Indianapolis. Winston Boogie Smith Jr., 32 years old, was fatally shot by police in Minneapolis on Thursday while he sat in his car. Authorities say he fired a gun at deputies before he was killed. They are claiming they don't have footage of the incident. I don't know why. Don't they have fucking body cams by now? And this was not Minneapolis PD. This was the U.S. Marshals Service who shot Winston Boogie Smith while trying to execute an arrest warrant. They say Smith fired a gun from inside his vehicle towards them before they shot back. He had been wanted on a warrant and already had an extensive criminal record with a previous felony conviction of aggravated robbery. Okay, well, so fucking no great loss. I love how I love all the riots over all these fucking scumbags. <clears throat> Just ki- kills me. They had moved in on him, the U.S. Marshals, who was wanted for being a felon in possession of a firearm. Oh, get this. After the genius posted a picture of what appeared to be himself sitting in a car with a gun and a box of rounds. Durr. Now, I do just happen to have a clip of Winston Boogie Smith that was kind of making its way around Twitter. And he's talking about the protests in Minnesota, the, the, you know, the previous protests. Obviously, this was before he was shot dead. But he's sitting in his car, and he's uh, talking about this protest. Let's hear from Boogie. In Minnesota, with all these killings, y'all not saying the right shit. Y'all telling motherfuckers to come with their hands up and, and peacefully assemble. For what? Nah, fuck that. Fuck that. Fuck you. Fuck them. Fuck anybody who's peaceful right now. Because when Martin Luther King was here, we had a million motherfuckers marching saying, let's be peaceful. But now y'all still begging for y'all freedom. So I say, they still shooting y'all down. They must want a war. So go get y'all gasoline at y'all gas station. Stop going to the protests. Go to the gas station. Get y'all gasoline. Go get some dish soap. If you scared, you don't got no gun. You don't need no gun. Go get some dish soap. Go get some glue. Go get some honey, some shit, some bleach, some shit that you can fucking throw at these fucks. While the men do what the fuck we gotta do, cause I'ma make these phone calls and we gonna pull up doing what the fuck we gotta do. Ain't nobody finna be keep begging for no justice. Motherfucker about to take their justice. Nobody finna be begging for no country. We about to take our shit back. Funny as fuck, hey. Okay, yeah, that's funny, Boogie. Well, that was, uh, I guess uh, that's uh, the end of your video making right there. I'm sure it was very tragic. Uh, by the way, the Daily Mail is doing the job that the uh, U.S. media doesn't want to do. They released a long exclusive story, and you should Google the following headline. Quote, exclusive, it's like living in Palestine. Minneapolis is renamed Murderopolis as children of under-police city pay the price in blood for violence that has skyrocketed since the death of George Floyd. End quote. 
So yeah, they're they're having all these kids basically being shot. And so far this year, 211 people have suffered gunshot wounds. That is up from 81 from this time last year. Meanwhile, the Minneapolis Police Department has lost a third of its force with more than 200 police officers leaving or signing off on disability. Wow. That is a huge number. And uh, there's been 36 homicides so far this year. That is more than double the number at this point last year and more than four times that seen in 2019. Carjackings are up a staggering 222%. Shootings have risen 153%. And guess what? 80% of the victims are black. Eh, nobody. Black Lives Matter doesn't care. Gun theft from vehicles is up more than 100%. Yeah, so that again, doing the job the U.S. media won't do. And also, by the way, Minneapolis finally, uh, hapless Mayor Jacob Fry finally found his nuts. And they started removing those memorials and barricades from the uh, from what they called George Floyd Square, the intersection where George Floyd was killed. And yeah, they started uh, fucking just taking everything down. And then all the protesters showed up, of course. The barriers that activists use to block traffic have been removed because they want traffic to flow through this intersection again because guess who wants it? The business owners. The businesses are saying, ever since this shit happened, we've been making no money and it's been a completely violent neighborhood. Demonstrators said the unannounced action was disrespectful to Mr. Floyd's memory. Oh, you know, get over it. I'm sorry about what happened to the man. Stop turning him into a fucking saint, which I've said a hundred times. He was not a good person. I still have not gotten over the fact that the Houston Police Department gave him a flag-draped coffin. I will never get over that. And they saluted it. They fucking saluted a flag-draped coffin for a lifelong criminal. Kills me. I mean, two things are possible at once. You can think what happened to him was wrong, and you can also reject and ridicule this deification of a not-good person. But yeah, that intersection had become sort of one of those autonomous zones. Residents had complained. It was detrimental to nearby businesses. They've had many shootings. And just fucking get rid of it, dude. Just go, you don't, ex don't even explain yourself. See, Jacob Fry is one of these soy boy mayors in the mold of Eric Garcetti. So he doesn't have any nuts. And, oh, he, of course, he puts out a statement. Mr. Fry said the city was investing in black-owned businesses. What about everybody else's business? Nonsense. DJ Hooker, a community activist, said, quote, I think it's wrong. This is not what they should be doing while people are still trying to heal. And, oh, fuck off. It's been over a year. You're a grown man. You didn't even know the guy. I need to heal. Get over it. They just want their fucking open-air drug and shooting gallery. That's all they want. Ridiculous. Um, what else about this? Yeah, shockingly enough, the fucking store owners didn't want this. They wanted, uh, they want business. So, anything else about this? God, this story just goes on and on and on and on. But that's about all you need to know. Okay, what else? Uh, this was funny. Ex-San Francisco official arrested for allegedly trying to rob a man of potato chips with a knife. <laughs> a 
This was the former director of San Francisco's Public Works Department. He was the guy in charge of cleaning up all the homeless poo. 58-year-old Mohammed Nuru allegedly whipped out a knife and demanded the unnamed worker's bag of snacks at a food bank at 11.15 a.m. This prompted the victim to flee and call 911. The victim first reported Nuru, who was indicted on corruption and bribery charges, by the way, in January, was potentially mentally disturbed. Nuru has claiming he meant it as a joke, but officers did track him down. He had been volunteering at this food bank, and they did arrest him, and he was booked into county jail on attempted robbery charges. <laughs> oh, God. What else? Here's a fucking bad father here. 10-year-old Florida boy is shot after his stupid father took him on a paintball drive-by to splatter houses and a homeowner returned fire with a real gun. 26-year-old Michael Williams was charged with child neglect and great bodily harm for taking his 10-year-old son on a paintball drive-by shooting. Well, he's 26 and he's got a 10-year-old. Okay. So, um... His son, he told police his son, Michael Williams, begged him to drive past a home where young people were gathered Saturday night so he could fire his paintball gun out of the window of the family's van. Yeah, That's when you fucking tell your kid, no, that's stupid and you're an idiot, Michael. So, but he said, yeah, sure, let's do that. So he drove by the residence. Son fired off several rounds. The owner of the targeted home, Gregory Barnes, confused the paintball for real gunfire he fired one shot with live ammo, which did strike the child. And then the kid lost his mount. The, the van's open side door, was they had it open so he could fire out of it, and he was run over by the back tires. So Williams picked up his wounded son, raced home, where the boy's mom called 911. How about you race to a hospital? I don't know. And... Uh, now, he's denying that his son fired the paintball rounds from the vehicle. Well, that should be easy to find out. Well, they said, and also the homeowner is not going to face any charges in connection with the shooting. So, genius. What else? Yeah. Let's go to recall update. California recall. I know you guys are in California, so I'm just going to go through this really quickly. Um, <clears throat> first of all, you guys know that California approved recalls in 1911, the year 1911. Since 1911, 179 recall attempts have been made. Launching a recall in California is easier than in almost every state, and every governor since 1960 in California has faced at least one. Obviously, the vast majority of those efforts fizzle because it's tough to get enough signatures. The cost of campaigning tends to thwart most of them. Besides Mr. Newsom's, only one other recall of a California governor, which was Gray Davis, ever reached an election, and that's when Davis lost in 2003 to, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger. A recall petition must be signed by enough registered voters to equal 12% of the turnout in the last election for governor. You don't have to give a reason. You can. The petition must include at least 1% of the last vote for the office in at least five counties. Proponents only have 160 days to gather those signatures, and then those signatures must be examined, verified. 
The threshold in this case was 1.495 million signatures. And, by the way, you have 30 days to change your minds. Uh, that 30 days expires on June 8th, by the way. And, of course, we have John Cobb. So far, we have 37 candidates who have officially announced that they want to challenge Newsom in the recall. Not a single Democrat, really. Because, basically, if you run as a Democrat, you're going to be, like, PNG, persona non grata, from the entire Democratic Party. And then, God forbid, Newsom wins, because then you're really PNG. And just, by the for the record, I doubt he's going to be recalled. I do like the message it sends. And I hope he does, but I'm just saying he'll probably beat it easily, if I'm being honest. Uh, the Republicans running include Kevin Faulkner, that is former mayor of San Diego. Uh, John Cox, the guy who fucking famously took the bear to the press conference. And, of course, Caitlyn Jenner. So uh, that's kind of the state. Now, amusingly enough, OJ. That's right. Orenthal James Simpson. You know, I play his clips occasionally. He weighed in on candidate Caitlyn Jenner. Let's hear how this goes. Go ahead, OJ. Hey, the world is me, yours truly. Well, a couple of curious things this week. Uh, one thing, early in the week when I was still watching cable news, I should say cable opinion shows, they, they had an interview with Caitlyn Jenner, and, and they asked uh, her a question about her qualifications to be governor, and she gave a curious answer. She said, back in 76, I faced down the Russians. Well, I can only think she was talking about the Olympics when she won the decathlon, the gold medal. Uh, I was there. I was working the game for ABC. I was on the goal line when he actually uh, won that 1,500-meter uh, metric mile to cinch the uh, decathlon. Uh, but a gold medal is qualifications to be governor. That means Sugar Ray Leonard. He won a gold medal then. Edward Moses, Moses won a gold medal then. Even the late... Leon Spinks won a gold medal, and I don't think he would have qualified <laughs> uh, by uh, winning a gold medal to run for governor. In any event, um, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, uh, Bill Cosby decided not to take a course. Uh, okay, let me just stop. He goes on rambling about Bill Cosby. Well, what the fuck are Gavin Newsom's qualifications? You know, his, his family was close with the Getty family out here, and so as a favor to them... He was given like some kind of like parking assistant job in fucking San Francisco, and that's how he started his political career. Other than that, what are his fucking qualifications? He's no great genius. Uh, and then a little bit more California politics. Ex-UFC Ultimate Fighting Champion Tito Ortiz. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but he was uh, the, a councilman, a city councilman in Huntington Beach, California. Well, he has resigned. Uh, he is 46 years old. He took office last December after winning the most votes in a council race in the city's history. He's a big Trump guy. Um, but he said that basically this was about character assassination. Uh, I'm going to play a clip from him in a minute. And he said uh, the attacks against him are moving into his family and he feels like he has to resign because of his um, family's safety. So let me go ahead and play this clip from Tito Ortiz resigning here and hear this sound. City Manager Oliver Chi, I would like to inform you that I am resigning from my position as Mayor Pro Tem, City Councilman with the City of Huntington Beach, effective June 1st, 2021. I ran for this position with hopes to better my community, work on my constituents, and give them a voice 
making our beautiful city safe and clean, and to ensure a bright future for my children. I was under the notion that I was in a bipartisan position and that we all had a common goal that our city and our constituents could have. To put it frankly, that's not the case. From day one, I was sworn in and I was met with hostility and judgment. Being in a, a public figure, nothing is, is new. However, to be sole focus of character assassination each and every week with multiple news stories and leaked personal information, all in which were in hopes to slander and defame my name. That's not me. I thought I was up to this job, but I knew I had over 40,000 constituents who were there counting on me. As of recent, the attacks against me have moved into involved my family. I now feel for their safety is in danger. To put it simply, this job isn't working for me. All right. Well, there he so, goes. I mean, you got, I don't understand. Like, so what, dudes? Let people talk shit. I don't know. It must have been something pretty specific. All right. Uh, let's go to a few military stories. Let's start with a sergeant major who's facing a court-martial over child sex abuse charges. That's a former command sergeant major at Fort Carson, Colorado. Sergeant Major, sergeant major Benito Perez, 51 years old, who is the 4th Infantry Division Artillery Senior Enlisted Leader, faces four charges of sexual assault, five charges related to indecent communications and fraternization. He has pleaded not guilty. Apparently, he became unduly familiar with a private first class in his unit. As a command sergeant major, he regularly called and texted this soldier, requested that she send him photos, ordered her to his office for regular closed-door personal meetings, touched her leg, hugged her, and invited to her home, his home after work hours. <laughs> oh, well, here's uh, something a little bit more serious. He also apparently coerced a girl under the age of 16 to undress in his presence while exposing himself on at least one occasion. What are you thinking? He was also charged with sexual assault for allegedly fondling that girl and exposing himself to her on additional occasions. Okay, so this is his thing. He fucking just took it out. Wow. He's been in the Army for 31 years. Well, that's fucking over. Uh, the, a lot of you guys sent me this one. Soldiers of the 173rd Airborne Brigade mistakenly seized and secured a working olive oil factory in Bulgaria as long as, as part of a large-scale NATO exercise aimed at deterring Russian military aggression. They thought this was part of a training area, but it was actually operated by Bulgarian citizens. No weapons were fired. But during this exercise, soldiers simulated entering and clearing multiple bunkers and structures. And this was across this airfield in Bulgaria. But they were uh, kind of, I guess they thought this olive oil factory was one of the structures they were supposed to clean. Uh, but uh, it was a mistake. And they were it was out of the training area. I mean, you know, shit happens. Nothing, ha you know, but it's a big deal. All's well that ends well. Uh, what else? Oh, the big UFO report. Yeah, that's coming out. But American intelligence officials have found no evidence that aerial phenomena witnessed by Navy pilots in recent years are alien spacecraft, but they still cannot explain the unusual 
movements that have mystified scientists and the military. And this is according to senior administration officials briefed on the findings of this government report that is coming out. The report determines that a vast majority of more than 120 incidents over the past two decades did not originate from any American military or any other advanced U.S. government technology. That determination does appear to eliminate the possibility that Navy pilots who reported seeing these unexplained aircraft might have encountered programs that the government meant to keep secret. But that's about the only conclusive finding in this intelligence report. By the way, this report is going to be released to Congress by June 25th. Uh, This has uh, been a long-running fascination with these observed phenomenon because they can't really explain it. They can't explain the acceleration. They can't explain the ability to change directions and submerge. Uh, And uh, they they don't know. More than 120 incidents examined in the report are from Navy personnel. And the report also examines incidents from foreign militaries over the last two decades. Um, One senior official said without hesitation that U.S. officials knew it was not American technology. Uh, Could it be something else? Maybe. Russia has been investing heavily in in what they call hypersonics. They believe the technology that offers gives it the ability to evade American missile defense technology, and China has also developed hypersonic weaponry. Uh, So, yeah, go uh, check that out. Uh, The Defense Department has been collecting these reports for more than 13 years as part of a little-known program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, and that's a Pentagon office. That program began in 2007 and was largely funded at the request of then-Nevada Democrat Harry Reid. It was officially shut down in 2012 when they ran out of money. But the guy who ran the program at the time said he continued it until 2017. And now the Pentagon did restart the program last summer. They're calling it the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. Very good. Uh, you guys think we got the aliens? I don't think so. I don't know. Oh, by the way, just before I forget, uh, you probably saw on Instagram that I went up to L.A. this week, and uh, I was hit up by a friend, the Olympic operator, my buddy, who was tapped by a military YouTuber named Austin Alexander. You guys can go see him on Instagram. And it, it, uh, the Olympic operator, Mike, he, he could not do this, but Alexander had reached out to him. Austin had reached out to him and asked him. He wanted to do a past test, the Air Force's physical agility and stamina test for his YouTube channel, see if he'd pass it. And Mike couldn't do it, so he asked me if I wanted to do it, and I said, sure. So I drove up to L.A. and did it. It was pretty fun. He had, like, it was very, he's fucking locked on. Uh, it was very professional. He had, like, a whole film crew and everything. And I just ran him through the events, which were one-and-a-half-mile run, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, 500-meter swim. Uh, for a big dude, he did really well. The, the sit-ups uh, killed him, though, because, again, he wasn't used to the fingers having to stay interlocked behind your head. So the point of me telling you this story is not that... Uh, but, well, you should go check out when he posted on YouTube. It should be up any day now, if not today. You can go see me yelling at him and everything. But also, you kids out there who want to get into Air Force Special Warfare, be sure you go and Google the Air Force past test, and it describes the events 
and the standard exactly. So you better fucking train to those standards is my point. So that's the point of me telling you the story. And also to please go to Austin's YouTube channel and check out that video when it comes up and you can see me barking at him a little bit. It was a lot of fun. What else? Let's talk about this firefighter shooting in the L.A. area. This was the shooting at Fire Station 81 in Agua Dulce. And this was a workplace dispute. The victim has been identified as Tori Carlin. He is a 20-year veteran of the L.A. County Fire Department. And the shooter is 45-year-old... Let me make this train. Okay, I want to make sure I got the right names here. This fucking NBC story is written horribly. Just come out and say who, what, when, where, why, NBC. How hard is this? I got to like, they, with every, every fucking dork writing at a, a news website now thinks they're like uh, fucking Ernest Hemingway or something. They got to like start off with like six paragraphs of very flowery writing and feelings. And you got to like pick out the details later. It's like, fuck. Anyway, apparently the guy who did the shooting is 45-year-old Jonathan Tatone. T-A-T-O-N-E. Could be Tatone. They both were firefighter engineers. And when uh, Tori Carlin came in for shift change, he replaced Tatone. So there was no specific incident, they said. But after the shift change, Tatone went to the home he had and he would later burn down that house but for before he went before he burned it down he was called back to the station they they called him back about items he'd left in the fridge like hey come get your fucking casserole or something well we this apparently worked him up so much when he returned to the station he shot and killed carlin and shot and injured a fire captain who's still in the hospital now this dispute has been going on several months between these two guys, the shooter and the shootee. But they're still not really saying what the exact causes of Tuesday's events. And uh, they're looking at personnel records to see if this conflict between the two firefighters had uh, been documented. But it sounds like these guys had probably just talked shit to each other for a long time. And then maybe, I don't know if he was the guy who called the shooter up and said, hey, fucking a-hole. Come get your goddamn fucking Tex-Mex burrito out of the fridge. And that maybe worked him up so bad that he's like, you know what? Fuck this motherfucker. And he just got the gun and said, fuck it. Later on, by the way, he went back to his house, burned it down, and killed himself. So just a fucking tragic story all the way around. Uh, what else? Another tragic story with this one. Three Californian sisters on their way to a family vacation were among four people killed in a head-on car crash in Idaho. This is horrible. This was Priscilla Rojas Carrasco, Jasmine Rojas Carrasco, and Melissa Rojas Carrasco. They were 16, 22, and 26 years old, respectively. They were killed alongside Juan Pablo Ferias, who was 22, when their Honda Civic collided on Highway 95. They were on their way to a family vacation. Case very ugh, pretty young ladies. Just awful. The uh, 
All three people in the other car survived the crash miraculously. Um, their identities have not been revealed, but are said to be two men and a woman ranging in age from 16 to 21. Really bad. Three sisters killed. And also, speaking of fucking horrible car crashes, there was two San Diego Police Department detectives among three people killed in a wrong way freeway crash yesterday here in San Diego. They were, uh, and this happened on Friday. When a wrong way driver hit their car head on on Interstate 5 in San Ysidro, that is just north of the San Diego-Mexico border. The driver who hit their car also died. This is near Dairy Mart Road. This is like the third to last exit before you hit the border. And tragically enough, these two officers who were killed were actually fucking married to each other. Oh, man. Yeah, very, very, very sad story. And just probably drunk. I'm just assuming that that's what it is. Uh, a couple other military stories, you guys. Uh, oh, talk about going against the religious cult. Rainbow flags will not be flown on military bases for gay pride month, <laughs> Pentagon says. How, how long until they reverse this? The Defense Department will not make an exception to its unauthorized flag policy to allow military bases to fly rainbow flags for Pride Month. And that is according to Chief Pentagon spokesman John Kirby. Of course, June is Gay Pride Month, and everybody has to fucking genuflect at the gay altar for some reason. Remember, the Pentagon policy, they have a ban of a display of unofficial flags. And that means includes the Pride flag. And this is, this is good. This is fucking, finally, somebody has their balls. There should be, as I put out on Twitter, Bravo Kilo Actual, is it too hard in the year 2021 America to say that the only flag that should fly above a military base or a U.S. diplomatic mission should be the American flag? Is that fucking controversial now to say? It's a fucking joke, dude. But of course... Some diplomatic missions around the world are flying the rainbow gay pride flag. I noticed they're not doing it in Saudi Arabia, of course, and they've also put up Black Lives Matter flags, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, normally, the only flags authorized on a U.S. military base or in any Department of Defense workspace are those of United States states, POWMIA flags, the American flag, or unit flags. That's it. And no, you don't get an exception for the pride flag. Uh, but the State Department in April did announce it would allow embassies to fly the, fly the pride flag. Get out of here with that. I don't want to hear anything about any other flag other than the American flag. I know, I guess that makes me super conservative or something. I don't know. Meanwhile, another Pentagon news. The Pentagon, by the way, gave $39 million to Dr. Peter Dazak's Eco Health Alliance. Remember I talked about Dazak earlier? That is the charity that funded coronavirus research at the Wuhan lab. Federal data seen by the DailyMail.com says that the Pentagon gave $39 million to EcoHealth Alliance between 2013 and 2020. The majority of the funding came from the DTRA, a military branch with a mission to counter and deter weapons of mass destruction and improvised threat networks. That's By the way, that's the Defense Threat Reduction Agency. Hmm. 
Yeah, maybe fucking look into that. That just comes... And again, why is the British tabloid doing the job of these? Where are woke military journalists from the Washington Post, Stars and Stripes? Where are all them? Oh, I know what they're doing. They're looking into, like, you know, cadets playing the circle game and guys wearing the wrong patch on their uniform. That's what they're doing. Uh, let's see. What else here? Oh, let's do this one. Um... The New York Post had a story uh, that there's a school in New York called the Dalton School. It's a private school at $55,000 a year, by the way. Well, one of the health and wellness educators there has used a cartoon video in one of her sexual education classes for six-year-olds explaining all about the pleasure of touching their private parts. (laughs) I have the video here. I'm going to play it in full. This is an animated video that they are using on six-year-olds to uh, talk about basically touching your own genitals. So let's hear this fucking propaganda. So it opens on... Let me stop it for a minute. It opens with a... uh, There's kids playing on a playground. Uh, There's two kids and two, like, you know, cartoon character animals, and they're kicking a soccer ball around. And then an adult walks up. So I will uh, go from there. Here we go. Playing on the playground. Kicks the ball. Whoa! Watch it! You almost hit me in the pee-pee! <laughs> Adult What's so up. funny, you two? He said pee-pee. <laughs> Do you notice that when you say pee-pee, you giggle, but when you say penis, you say it in a serious voice? I never noticed that before. <laughs> Some children and adults feel uncomfortable when they talk about their private parts, so they make up cute or funny names for them. What's one for a girl's private parts? Vajayjay! <laughs> <laughs> but what does Scoops mean when he says Vajayjay? He means vulva. That's right, Kayla. It's important to use the proper words for our private parts. Mm. Why? Because our private parts are just as amazing as our hearts, lungs, brains, or any other of our amazing body parts. True. But our hearts pump blood, our lungs breathe, and our brains think. All our private parts do is pee. That's not entirely true, Scoops. Oh, boy. It is true that a person pees or urinates through a hole called the urethra in six the years, penis. Six-year-olds. Does everyone have a urethra? They do. It can be harder to see, but girls have a tiny hole in the front of the vulva where urine comes out from their urethra. Urination is actually very important. Yes. It helps us get rid of waste, stuff our body doesn't need. Hey, how come my penis gets big sometimes and points up in the air? That's called an erection. Sometimes I touch my penis because it feels good. Sometimes when I'm in my bath or when mom puts me to bed, I like to touch my vulva too. Ah. You have a clitoris there, Kayla, that probably feels good to touch the same way Keith's penis feels good when he touches it. But have you ever noticed that older kids and grown-ups don't touch their private parts in public? Hmm, they don't? That's right, Keith. Well, it's okay some to of them do, as extensively covered here. Feel, but it's best to only do it in private. Well, if private parts are so special, why do you cover them up? Because they are private, silly. That's right, Kayla. Because they are private. Oh, He's wow. Weeks. Pass it. Wait. Okay, I'm ready. All right, there you go. Wow. Jeez, that's, uh... <laughs> 
right? Have we mastered math and reading? Is that is that so? We 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 don't need to do that anymore. Is this really what we need? We need this cartoon because we're obviously so good at addition, subtraction, reading comprehension, biology, science. We're so good at all of that stuff. Physics, chemistry, we've mastered it all. So we've run out of things to talk about. We got to play this cartoon about touching your genitals to six years old. Okay. Whew. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not opposed. I'm not one of these crazy right wing cranks who's opposed to sex education. Uh, again, I think a six year old is probably not necessary. And uh, maybe you should focus more on baseline attributes because the Chinese are still kicking our asses as last time I checked. Okay. What else? Let's move on. A Baltimore police SWAT officer has been indicted for production and possession of child pornography. It's 51 years old Donald Hildebrandt, and he was a SWAT cop. According to court documents, on October 18, 2020, law enforcement received a complaint that Donald Hildebrandt had been discovered in a room with a minor female with his erect penis exposed. Oh, boy. Yeah, I guess that's caught red fucking handed right there. Red penist, if you will. Oh, let's see here. What else do I have for you? Fewer American children than ever before have been given the name Karen. You can probably figure out why. Fewer newborns were given the name in 2020 than any year since 1932. After it has become an insult for white women who throw public fits. The name peaked in popularity in 1965 when 32,873 Karens were born. But it has dropped in popularity to the point where only 325 babies have been named Karen this last year. So there's still a lot of Karens out there, though. I'm sure they all hate their names by this point. Okay. United Airlines wants to bring back supersonic air travel. Uh, the airline is planning on buying planes from a startup called Boom Supersonic. And this could be the first ultra-fast commercial flight since the Concorde stopped flying in 2003. Uh, this company, Boom, has raised $270 million from venture capital firms. It says it plans to introduce aircraft in 2025, start flight tests in 2026. And United Airlines said that they were ordering 15 jets already that can travel faster than the speed of sound. Hmm. But uh, they've already had some uh, plans that have slipped up at least once. And they will have to overcome obstacles, including securing approval from the FAA. Um, the airline, as far as United Airlines... They're uh, trying to take uh, some kind of risks here. For one thing, they announced a $20 million investment in an electric air taxi startup. That's cool. I'm down. Let's get the fucking... Yeah, it's, it's actually still... I don't even know why we don't even have... I know it was like economically not feasible, the whole Concorde stopping down, but I, can't we make it feasible by now? I don't get it. Uh, an anti-government activist in Belarus has stabbed himself in a courtroom. This was an opposition activist named Stepan Latpyov. And he stabbed himself in the throat with a pen. 
after claiming that investigators had threatened to prosecute his family if he did not plead guilty. This was in the capital of Minsk, and he was facing charges that included inciting social unrest. And this all has to do, as I've covered extensively, with President Alexander Lukashenko, the leader of Belarus, who's trying to stifle all this dissent. So he's been, you know, remember, he's the guy who ordered the commercial jet flying through the country's airspace to land, and he arrested that journalist on board. I talked about it last week. That was Roman Protesevich. So this is another opposition at, uh, activist is Lat Piaf, and he's been arrested. So, I mean, you got to be pretty desperate to stab yourself in the friggin' throat. Uh, let's see. Let's go to New York. Homeless men lose court battle to stay in Upper West Side Hotel. The Upper West Side Hotel, the Lucerne, has been cleared to move dozens of homeless men out of there after a state appeals court rejected an effort to stop the city from relocating them to another hotel downtown. See, this is why you don't move them into your hotel, because they're going to dig in, and you're going to have all kinds of activists fighting for them for years. They've been trying to get rid of these guys for, for like a year. And um, they're going to try to get them all out. The city had moved nearly 300 men to the hotel last July. This is a 117-year-old brick building at 79th Street. And others uh, of the some neighbors, some neighbors welcomed them, writes the New York Times. However, others complained that the men, some of whom suffer from mental illness and substance abuse problems, loitered outside, used drugs, and urinated in public. Of course. And they have hotel rooms and they're still pissing outside. So, what does that fucking tell you? Something I've told you for years now. They're all fucking nuts. They're all fucking, and they need help. They need to be put away and heavily medicated. So, they did fucking win that court battle, though. Uh, let's see, what else? I just want to make sure I get to everything. This is sort of amusing. Did you see where this guy, Matt Walsh, he writes for the Daily Wire? He raised $100,000 for Representative Ocasio, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's grandmother. Yeah. Well, his GoFundMe has been disabled. Let me say really quickly what happened was... What happened was... Uh, Ocasio-Cortez tweeted out that her abuela, which means grandmother in Spanish, and she was put out pictures and said her abuela was going to be evicted from her house in Puerto Rico, and it's such a crime how the U.S. doesn't support anybody. And Matt Walsh wanted to demonstrate some hypocrisy. He's like, well, you got money. Why aren't you fucking helping her? So, tongue-in-cheek, he decided to start a GoFundMe raiser, a fundraiser, which raised like $105,000 in like, like at 24 hours. And... GoFundMe has now disabled donations. Otherwise, it'd be a, probably be a lot higher. Uh, in an email to Matt Walsh from the Daily Wire, GoFundMe said that they were, quote, in touch with the beneficiary's family, and they made clear that they will not be accepting the funds raised. When a beneficiary does not want to accept the funds that have been raised on their behalf, it is standard practice to turn off all donations and then refund all donors, end quote. This appears to suggest it may not have been Ocasio-Cortez's grandmother who refused the funds, but someone else in the family. So we really don't know. More than 5,800 people pledged to help her grandmother raising 
just over $100,000 in 10 hours, not even 24. So, yeah, you know, I have two minds about this. Is it kind of funny? Yes. But on the other hand, it's amazing that fucking people are going to cough up over a hundred grand for somebody who hates your existence. Because all these people who donated to it were conservatives. You know, Matt Walsh is very conservative. Daily Wire is conservative. This is like Ben Shapiro's website. So all these conservatives are raising money for somebody who hates their guts, or at least her grandmother. I mean, you could raise. Where's your fucking fundraiser for disabled veterans or somebody else? You know what I'm saying? So I. I yeah, I do kind of think it's funny, but I don't know. It just kind of s- strikes me as foolish to, uh, you know, basically troll your enemy by giving them tons of money, if that makes sense. So I can see both sides of it for sure. Uh, let's see. Bitcoin has tumbled after Elon Musk tweets another meme about it. The Tesla CEO tweeted a meme about a couple breaking up along with the Bitcoin hashtag and a broken heart emoji. So Bitcoin promptly fell by over 6%. Is this what I'm saying? I can't take it seriously. And I do. And this is somebody, I have a little Bitcoin, as I've told you guys often. I'm a, I'm a long holder. on I don't have very much, but I'm going to hold it for a long time just because I want to see what happens. Bitcoin does account for more than 40% of the global crypto market but prices did fall about 36 percent in may that is their worst monthly performance since september of 2011 and remember this is supposed to be a currency which is a store of value well a store of value isn't fucking much good if it falls by 36 percent in a month not good couple bad fbi agents FBI agent charged with attempted murder in off-duty shooting of an unarmed beggar on D.C. Metro train. <laughs> That's a good old-timey word. This is from a British tabloid. This is 37-year-old Eduardo Valdivia. He's accused of shooting an unarmed man on a Metro subway in Maryland. Well, his defense attorney is saying Valdivia acted in self-defense. He, he uh, The band did survive. Uh, it escalated from an exchange of words to a shooting on a train approaching the medical center station on the DC Metro in Bethesda. And his defense attorney said, yeah, he's on his guy fucking uh, approached him. The attorney said his client warned the panhandler back up or I'll shoot. And, uh, he says, uh, and, and the prosecutor's not explaining why his office concluded the shooting wasn't justified, but he did shoot and man, shoot and wound the man from a distance of roughly two to three feet. Two to three feet. You're lucky he didn't die. Yep. And another... So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withdraw my description of him. Withdraw my description of him as bad until I hear more. But this one is definitely bad. A retired FBI agent named William Roy Stone Jr., 62 years old, has been indicted on fraud and accused of conning a woman out of $800,000 by convincing her that she was on secret probation for drug crimes and needed to pay him an accomplice for their work to mentor and supervise her. He even proposed marrying the victim. Are they naming the victim? Mm, if he's convicted on all charges, he will face up to 178 years in prison. The victim is identified only as C.T., 
He retired in October 2015. At some point the following month, he was in contact with CT and started telling her she was on this weird probation and that she needed to pay him all this money uh, to do all this shit. So it's not clear what the overall relationship was, but the end result was the victim gave him over $800,000 in money and property. And uh, so, yeah, bad guy. Let's see. Um, let me just go on here. A couple uh, genital stories here. A woman who reportedly cut off the penis of her boss at a bar located near Barcelona will be sent to prison without bail after the court rejected her version of events in which she claimed that she attacked her employer after he attempted to sexually assault her. The woman was arrested in Spain after she claimed, acting in self-defense, she cut off her employer's penis while working a shift at a bar. Um... She told police that the man had forced her to have sex with him on multiple previous occasions. Uh, the man who owns the bar was taken to the local hospital for an attempt to reattach his genitalia. It is unclear if the man's emergency surgery was successful. And in another penis-severing story, in Israel... Is this in Israel? It's on the Israel... Um, this is on an Israel newspaper, and there it's a Beersheba man. Yeah, Beersheba. This is in Israel. A Beersheba man arrived at the local medical center after reportedly cutting off his own penis and flushing it down the toilet. He told local paramedics that he had been suffering from untreated chronic pain in his genital area. <laughs> so, so... So you just cut it off, bro? Maybe, I don't know, look into it. could just be a fucking kidney stone. The Israeli police did reach out to Beersheba's water and sewage management company, which wanted to locate the cut-off organ so that it could be reattached. This is funny. The water and sewage management company is called May Sheva. Well, they responded that they were not able to comply with the request. I don't know if that means, like, we don't feel like it, or if that means that's an impossible fucking task to try to find a penis in the you know millions of gallons of sewage flowing through everywhere. Uh, let's see, what else do I have? Uh, bah, 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 bah. Let's go to... Oh, there's an election coming up in East Germany. They say this is going to test the far right's power. This Sunday, uh, voters... In the eastern state of Saxony-Anhalt, will go to the polls, and they want to see now if the nationalist alternative for Germany will finish strongly, because they did have a strong showing in 2016, riding a wave of anti-immigration uh, sentiment. So, let me see anything else about this fucking election. There is. A 30% support in the state. Um, I'm sorry. Sorry, guys. Badly written article here. They are, they are, uh, they are, basically the AFD is behind by seven points. Okay. There you go. Again, poorly written article. The AFD in this region <clears throat> has become strong despite scandals, according to one professor. He said, quote, Instead of breaking apart, they have consolidated, becoming an increasingly radical opposition force. End quote. 
And that's a spot-on impression. Uh, they don't like the AFD. They think they're like these backwards, like, right-wing hicks. So, uh, let's see. A flight attendant tackled a man who was trying to hijack a plane in America, if you missed that one. Delta Flight 386 from Los Angeles to Nashville was diverted to Albuquerque. Uh, yeah, they tackled a passenger who tried to break into the cockpit in midair while screaming, Stop this plane! He flew into a rage on Friday's flight from L.A. to Nashville, and then flight attendant Christopher Williams and other passengers restrained him with zip ties. And, zip ties. and you can see cell phone footage of, of the uh, flight attendant wrestling with the man on social media. He's very fat and large. The video is just basically all screaming, otherwise I'd play it for you. Uh, but yeah, this is crazy. The guy was arrested and nobody luckily was injured. That would freak me out, dude. Imagine you're on a plane and that shit happens. Uh, quickly starting around a time, 15 Chinese elephants are on a long March North. Why? Nobody knows. The elephants have roamed 300 miles across Southern China in the longest movement recorded in the country by the animals. Researchers are mystified. Yeah, this has been taking over a year. And now they're on the edges of the city of Kunming, population 8.5 million. So they started walking last year on China's far southwestern border with Laos. And uh, they've uh, been causing chaos. You know, they're big fucking animals. Just get out of their way. So where are they going to go? Where are they going to stop? Nobody knows. These elephants, they say, have caused $1.1 million of damage, and they have captivated Chinese social media. That's funny. Um, the journey appears to have begun last March when 16 elephants were seen moving away. Uh, they do have large ranges. Apparently one of them died. Oh, no. Uh, one, uh, a couple of them turned around, and a few were born, so it's now 15. China's elephant population has grown in recent years from fewer than 200 several decades ago to about 300 today. Well, again, elephants extremely high on the animal hierarchy. And I guess they're going to go where they want to fucking go. So uh, just, uh, I don't know, try to steer them away, but uh, get out of their way. They are dangerous, remember. The wandering herd has yet to cause any injuries to humans, but there have been more than 50 casualties involving Asian elephants between 2011 and 2019, according to Chinese state media. Hopefully, they think they will return on their own to the park where they came from, but they might just uh, keep wandering around into the city. Again, you guys, I will reiterate my wild support for large apex land animals roaming the streets of cities everywhere. So I'm fully down with this. Bring the elephants on. And if they trample your house, well, so be it. Anything else? Yeah, very uh, quiet on the mask melt. You know, the, the sad thing is, guys, with the end of the pandemic, the mask meltdowns and the racial meltdowns, it was really quiet. We, I couldn't find a single mask meltdown. That's got to be the first time ever. I did find this one. I don't know how much is in here. But apparently a group of women at a California hotel pool got into a confrontation with other guests after allegedly berating a female lesbian couple for kissing in front of children. This is in Sacramento. And this ended with the women leaving to chance of shame. 
And speaking of Karens, of course, they're called the Chlorine Karens. I'm going to play the clip, and let's see. You're going to hear them ch chanting shame, and then you'll hear the chicks kind of cuss at them a little bit. Let's hear this. Shame. 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 Okay, then they walk off. What if I you're a gentrifier? Did you hear that guy? What kind of grown man says that? Uh, I know. Wasn't that great? Guys, I, I searched high and low for meltdowns this week, and this is probably the first week in a long time where there really wasn't a lot. Very sad. Um, Well, I do have this video. Should I even play this one? Uh, Remember that lawyer, Lynn Wood? Uh, well, he made a little speech. He was talking about Donald Trump and who's going to uh, go to hell. Maybe this will be good. Let me try this. Stop it there because the video is not that great, the audio. But uh, yeah, he's basically saying uh, all these people are going to hell, except for him, presumably. Uh, quickly, anything else, you guys? Just a few quick headlines. Uh, VA oversight lapses allowed pathologists serious medical errors to accumulate. That's according to a VA watchdog from the inspector general. Uh, a former pathologist named Robert Morris Levy was sentenced to 20 years in prison for involuntary manslaughter. And, uh, yeah, they said a lot of it was uh, he was basically, like, on-duty drunk and drunk driving, and they found more than 3,000 errors in his work when they scrutinized him hard. Arizona caused outrage by saying that they were going to use Zyklon B to kill death penalty inmates in their gas chamber. <laughs> that is, of course, the same gas... Used by the Nazis. Uh, Arizona last executed with somebody with lethal cyanide gas in 1999. Well, 
apparently they uh, found some Zyklon B. How'd they get this? Um, it's not immediately clear where they bought the chemicals. Hmm. All right. Well, what? who cares? Just get rid of them. Uh, Supreme Court rules that um, tribal police officers may sometimes detain and search non-Native Americans on federal highways. That is the U.S. versus Cooley. And uh, they that's when uh, a, a, a Crow Police Department officer stopped to assist a truck parked on the side of the road, and he found meth and two semi-automatic rifles, and he arrested the guy, and they moved to suppress evidence saying that tribal police do not have the authority to invest violations of state or federal law by non-Native Americans on public highways. Well, they said if you have probable cause, you can do it. Uh, New Jersey fifth grader dressed up as Hitler for a class project. (laughs) And then finally, you guys, let's go to the big finish here. I got a twofer for you. One, Madison man charged for possessing, quote, childlike sex dolls. Yes, this is National, Nashville, Tennessee. 52-year-old William Crowder ordered a childlike sex doll to be shipped to his home. They searched his home and reportedly found six childlike sex dolls, several of them dressed in children's clothing. I think I covered this guy before, but now they have returned indictments charging him with six counts of possession of a childlike sex doll. So now they have arrested him and booked him into jail. And then finally, you guys, how about this? The mayor of Athens, Georgia, I'm sorry, Athens, Texas, has been arrested after soliciting sexual acts from an undercover agent posing as a minor. (laughs) He was was arrested after arriving at an undisclosed location after soliciting sex with investigators posing as minors. I'm looking at these fucking winners' pictures right now. The city of Athens released a statement saying they are shocked to learn of... What's his name? James Monty Montgomery's arrest in Longview. They are committed to the protection of safety for our children, blah, blah, blah. He has got a uh, disheveled look about him and a handlebar mustache. Always suspect. Guys, that's all I got for you. There goes the iPad. Again, two and a half hours, guys. Nobody else is capable of doing it. The steel trap mind cannot be matched. I keep trying to tell you this. And I'd really appreciate it if you go to patreon.com. Search for BK Actual. Help keep the podcast going. Really appreciate all my great donors who do so. Patreon.com, BK Actual. Guys, a buck, two bucks, three bucks a month. It's fucking like a cup of coffee for all this entertainment. Are you kidding me? Please follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo Actual and check out that Instagram at BK Actual. And that's all for me. I will see you next week.